So, just to start, obviously you've heard of all the frustration. Who's to blame for this? Who's on Right here at the broadcast. Yes, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, PA, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, RadioOrNot.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week. Phew! It's usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com, but today you've got me, Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, with a special Voting Problems edition of the Bradcast. So we begin today where Brad left off yesterday, scratching our heads over what happened in Maricopa County, Arizona on Tuesday. Since the long lines made no sense, let's hear from the woman responsible for decreasing the number of polling places from 200 to 60, a 70% reduction. Uh, She's Maricopa County recorder, Helen Purcell, who apparently never heard the term, the buck stops here. Here she is talking with a local TV reporter. Obviously, you've heard of all the frustration. Who's to blame for this, these long lines? Well, the voters for getting in line. What? Maybe us for not having enough polling oh, places. Maybe. Or as many as we usually have. Uh-huh. But I think we've seen the, uh, the hype in the last, uh, I'd say, week to 10 days of the... Um, candidates the hype uh, the national candidates coming here which we haven't seen in past years so I think that's kind of stirred everything everybody up energized yeah. them there's definitely high interest now sh- do, you, do you are you saying voters should have sent in ballots by mail because you're saying they're partly to blame for standing in line well no they're not to blame for but standing you said in they line. were they went to the polling places uh, they could have voted early oh. or you know that was their option in this instance yeah um, so I don't mean to blame the voters. Oh, you don't mean to. I think to. it's wonderful that voters went to the polls. That's what we encourage them to do all the time. We've looked yeah. at voter turnout over the last several years has been very, very low. So the fact that they all showed up at the polling place, I think is wonderful. Yeah, too bad How they couldn't could this vote. How could have been prevented? I don't really know. Uh-oh. Um, Isn't that I your job? There are a lot of uh, reasons that went behind this. Uh, we looked at what we have seen in the past for early ballots and what we've seen at the polling places. We tried to look at that scenario. Um, we knew that a third of our voters could not vote in this election because Why? independents could not ah, vote. See. So that okay. takes away a whole group of, of voters. Yeah, but Helen. Um, um, and then we looked at where... Yeah, Helen, here's the problem, though. Why were people who were lifelong registered Democrats and lifelong registered Republicans showing up on your rolls as independent? 
Yeah, that had nothing to do with the excitement. It was a screw up on your part, you know? But uh, I digress, sorry. Where polling locations could be in large locations so that we could put a lot of uh, blah, 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 machines blah, 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 and blah, poll blah. workers there. Yeah, so polling places have been reduced in the last four years, right? From 200 to about 60? For this election. For this election. Yes. So we are required by law to have no more than half of our normal polling places. And we tried to reduce that looking at past, what? past history. So again, a lot of people are frustrated. What could be done differently going forward? Well, we will certainly look at this and see if we need to do um, They'll look different. at it. This was the first good time to that know. we've allowed people to go to any polling place. So if that's not a good thing, if we need to go back to the old plan, where they're, they're bounded by certain boundaries and that's the only place they can go, we, we'll have to look at all of those issues. When you look at back on this, is this going to be a failure of your office? Yes. I don't think so. Really? When you get people out to vote? Is that a failure? <laughs> if they can't vote, it's a failure. Four-hour lines. Some people reported having to stand in right. lines for more than three hours. Right. Five hours. How do, you, how do you tell these people that that's just part of the process? I didn't say that it's part of the process. I'm glad they went out. I'm sorry that they had to wait that long, but I'm glad they went out to vote. And they, wanted, they want some answers. Why did this happen? I think I just explained that. No, you didn't. So, I mean, I guess who are you blaming then? Is it the independent voters? Why did this happen? I'm not blaming anybody. I said that there are a lot of different factors that went into what is going on today. Okay. I guess I, I don't feel like I understand what, how this happened. Neither What's do I. Why were there, this, this isn't happening in other counties. This has only been reported oh, in Maricopa oh, County. Oh, it is happening in other counties. Okay. We have heard the same thing from other counties, that they are having the issue, some of them with the... Uh, uh, independent voters trying to vote, and they have. We have to allow them to vote, so we'll vote them a provisional ballot, which will not count. But we have to to do the paperwork on that. Wow. Anyway, so wow. Do you think, it's not just here. Do you think wow. it's a matter then that independent voters were the ones standing in lines, making these long lines that they just didn't realize they couldn't vote in this election? As I said before, that's one of the factors. I think I've gone over all the things that I said were encapsulated, and there are a number of reasons. So that's just one of the factors. Okay, so we're talking about independent voters, polling places being reduced, and high interest campaign. Uh, did you not prepare enough for this? Maybe not. Okay. And, and when you say that, what do you mean? What could you have done differently? I think I told you we will have to look at this and look at the overall pictures and see what we could have done differently. Wow. And possibly we'll do in the future. Possibly. Some voters said they just went ahead and gave up on voting. They didn't want to stand in the several hour line. What do you say to them? I would hope they wouldn't do that. If they're going to take the time to go to the polls, I hope that they will stay. Well, you know what? If they're going to take the time to go to the polls, Ms. Purcell, they should be able to vote within a reasonable amount of time. So uh, there was that interview. I, I got to say, the reporter was she was she was uh, persistent, if nothing else, didn't get any answers. So here's what I want to do. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side with Ari Berman of The Nation and the man who wrote the book on the dismantling of the Voting Rights Act. Give us the ballot. The modern struggle for voting rights in America. Ari Berman joins us next on the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. In for Brad. Don't go away. Lots more still to come. 
Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Ain't no use driving. Ah, sing it, Bob Dylan. Everything is broken, especially when it comes to our voting systems here in the United States of America. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, in for Brad Friedman and Desi Doyen today on the broadcast. And we need some answers. We need to figure out why everything is so broken. So joining us on the line now is, well, a familiar voice for listeners of the broadcast, also listeners of, of my show. Ari Berman, uh, as a senior writer at The Nation, is also author of the amazing book, Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. Ari, I'm sure, you know, when you, I know you were writing this book for a long time. We spoke many times during uh, your research for it. Um, and I'm sure you realized that it would be very timely during the 2016 presidential cycle. But I'm guessing you probably never thought that writing about the Supreme Court's gutting of the Voting Rights Act would lead to hours long lines in a primary <laughs> election in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Or maybe you did. Well, I knew I knew that this would happen somewhere. Um, I, I and I would have put my money maybe on Raleigh, North Carolina, no. where in fact there were very long lines. Um, but the Phoenix thing kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, but it reminded me that Arizona was one of those states that had to approve their voting changes with the federal government uh, under Section Five of the Voting Rights Act, which the Supreme Court gutted. And so this all could have been avoided uh, if the Supreme Court had not gutted the Voting Rights Act, because Arizona had a long history of discrimination against uh, Latinos and Native Americans. For that reason, they had to approve their voting changes uh, with the federal government. And that included things like reducing the number of polling places. So if the largest and most diverse county in the state wanted to eliminate 70% of its polling places, which is what happened in this primary, they would have had to get federal approval for it. And I don't think that either the courts or the Justice Department would have approved uh, closing so many polling places uh, for Latinos, for Native Americans, for African Americans, for other minority voters. This was precisely the kind of thing that the Voting Rights Act was supposed to stop, whether it occurred because people were trying to disenfranchise voters or whether they just were incompetent in terms of how they were running elections. That's why federal scrutiny was so important. Right. And so now, in, in re- first of all, during as this was happening, there were many of us, you know, sitting here waiting for the election returns to start rolling in. Those of us on the East Coast, of course, we had to wait extra long on Tuesday. Uh, but then we started seeing things like little uh, videos posted on YouTube. One guy, first, first uh, inkling I got that there were problems there, somebody had posted a video on YouTube. He had gotten in his car and he held up his provisional ballot to the camera and, and basically said, well, this is bull. Um, let me tell you what happened. And he proceeded to tell the story of how his name just was not there. I mean, aside from the fact that 
we had people waiting in these lines that went on for more than five hours, there was another issue in in Maricopa County in Arizona. And that was people who said that they were registered as Democrats whose names were just not on the voter rolls. Is this related in any way or is this just another weird election glitch? The, well, as of now, it seems like it's just a weird election glitch. Or this is this happens a lot in, in all across the country, and you have to kind of figure out um, why people are not registered. I think there there were reports of people who were independents that were switching uh, to vote in either the Republican or the Democratic Party, so that um, may have explained it. Um, but it was a very very chaotic election, uh, and uh, it's very concerning. This is happening in a primary. Uh, because turnout's going to be much higher in mm-hmm. November. There are going to be many more contested races. I just saw a map that Nate Silver put up showing Hillary Clinton beating Donald Trump in Arizona. Uh, and so this could be a battleground state. Uh, and we already know there's going to be a bunch of other battleground states that have new restrictions in place, places like Wisconsin and North Carolina and Virginia that have made it harder to vote. Uh, so uh, this is a huge issue. And I mean, it's really unfortunate that it, this happened in Arizona, but I'm glad in a way that it did happen so that people can wake up to what's going on. Uh, because, you know, we've been talking about voting rights. Uh, Brad's been talking about mm-hmm. voting rights, but hasn't break, broken through in many ways into the mainstream discussion. And when you see five-hour lines in the place that was previously covered under the Voting Rights Act, hopefully that starts to hit home for some people that weren't paying attention previously. Well, absolutely. You know, what we find during days like this, what happened Tuesday in Arizona, and what happened last week here in Florida, you know, you know that I live in Florida. Well, um, you might remember Randy Rhodes, radio talk show host, who, by the way, is coming back. Uh, More on that another time. But she went to vote on Tuesday, the 15th, as she has in every presidential election here in Florida, and went to her polling place, same place she's always voted, and they couldn't find her. She had been purged from the voter rolls. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. you know, she, no, no, and, they, and they went to give her a provisional ballot, and she said, hell no, I'm not taking that. Uh, being Randy, yeah. knowing this stuff, she got in her car, drove over to the supervisor of elections office, where she was told by the person there, oh, well, we heard you moved to D.C., I, I, so so there's like personalities involved here, like somebody knew yeah. of her. Oh, we heard you moved to D.C., which she hadn't. She always kept her house down here, always voted here. But if these sort of anecdotal pieces, oh, somebody said she moved. So what? She's taken off the voter rolls. But then what we found out, actually, Brad Friedman found this out by talking to Susan Butcher, who is the, the supervisor of elections in Palm Beach County, is that what they will do is they'll send a letter to your home. And I guess if you don't respond to the letter yeah. and you don't yeah. vote in the next election, they purge you. Um, yeah, this is a big problem. So so I was actually, so when all this Arizona stuff w- was going on, I was in Ohio because okay. uh, I was doing some book events there, a state with, like Florida, a very well-documented history of voting rights problems. And the same thing is happening in Ohio. They've purged 2 million voters from the rolls in the last four years. Uh, and this is something that I'm working on right now. Uh, but basically, sometimes these issues that don't get a lot of attention, like reducing polling places, mm-hmm. purging the voting rolls, can have a huge impact on an election. It's, I know the voter ID laws, some of that stuff tend to get the headlines, and, and those are critically important to cover. But all of these other election changes are also extremely important, and the totality of them add up uh, to making uh, 
voting a lot harder uh, than it needs to be. And, and so, I mean, we're having this conversation now because of the problems in Arizona, but there's a lot of other stuff going on, too. Well, there is. But, you know, people, um, thankfully, you know, when Randy went to the supervisor of elections office, she knew to do that and to, you know, fight for her actual real ballot, which she was able to get when it was all said and done. But what she said was the most disconcerting thing to her was at the supervisor of elections office, seeing all these young people who both either wanted to register that day to vote that day which in Florida you can't do because I think you have to be registered 30 days before an election, and another group of young people who wanted to change their party affiliation to Democrats so they could vote for Bernie Sanders. These people who are now so plugged in, right, and involved had no clue how primary voting works here in the state of Florida. And maybe part of the problem is it's because it's different from state to state. Is that it is different from state to state, and you know some some states have open primaries, some states don't. Some right. states have same day voter registration. You can show up, you can register at the same time. Some states don't. Uh, so we have, um, and not only do states differ, but as we saw in Arizona, the difference in one county to another can be dramatic, and the difference between one polling place in the county and another can be dramatic. Uh, I heard stories of people who voted in Scottsdale. Uh, which is wider and wealthier part of Maricopa County, who had very, very, very short lines, 30-minute lines, um, compared to people who voted in downtown Phoenix, uh, which is more urban, more diverse, and they had five-hour lines. Uh, So this is a major issue, that there are huge disparities, not just between states, not just between counties, but between different polling places within counties. Right. And but so so, of course, when something of this magnitude happens and believe me, you know, Tuesday was a major disaster in Arizona for people who wanted to exercise their constitutional right to vote. Um, You tell the story in a piece that you have up at The Nation posted uh, on uh, what is it Wednesday um, about this woman, uh, Aracely Calderon from Guatemala, a naturalized citizen from uh, Guatemala, who you write, arrived just before the polls closed at 7 p.m. in downtown Phoenix. She was the last one in that line to cast a ballot at 12, 12 a.m. So when something like this happens, we always want to know who's responsible, right? And what has surfaced is a video of Helen Purcell, this woman who is the super, she's the registrar of voters in Arizona, in Maricopa County. Um, so I guess she's the, the, I guess the head of elections in Maricopa County. And she's the one after initially blaming when she was asked who's to blame for these long lines. And she said something to the effect of the people who got in the line and a few other um, sort of questionable <laughs> statements she made, she finally came back and said, you know what, it's my fault. I did it based on the, the numbers we ran. I thought it would be fine. Um, is this yeah. a case where somebody needs to be held responsible? Well, of course. I mean, she clearly should resign. Uh-huh. I don't. I mean, her conduct during the election was enough to, to have her lose her job, let alone the fact that she is now blaming the voters who went out. I mean, how can you not think through closing 70% of polling places in a hotly contested election where there's primaries on both sides uh, that are very important and the largest county in the state? I mean, it's inconceivable that this didn't get more scrutiny ahead of time. But I also think we should blame the Supreme Court for gutting the Voting Rights Act 
uh, and for making this type of thing possible. And I also think we should blame GOP officials all across the country uh, that have made voting harder. Uh, and so I, I think it's easy just to call for someone's head uh, and make someone the fall guy. And, and, and Helen Purcell is clearly responsible for this. But the problems go much, much higher. Uh, and it, Arizona is not an isolated case. We've seen very long lines in a bunch of states with new restrictions like North Carolina. We've seen a lot of voting problems already in the primary. And I think we're going to see many, many more uh, in November. Uh, so even if she was to resign tomorrow, all of the problems still exist. Right. And and part of the problem, I think, is that, you know, this is a state's rights issue. I guess you go state to state and each state has their own weird way of doing things and starting with putting partisans in charge of elections. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, one thing I heard today is I, I told you off the air, I'm, I had a bit of a, a Twitter argument with somebody who, you know, is a friendly acquaintance. He's a lawyer. He's a good progressive. And he's, you know, he is uh, defending this woman, Helen Purcell, saying, oh, it's a witch hawk. It's a witch, uh, witch hunt. It's a it's a demagogue, uh, demagoguery. It's I, but I'm sorry, somebody screwed up and screwed up in a massive way. And somebody else, a Democratic lawyer from the the Phoenix area has jumped in the ring to uh, thrown his hat in the ring to run against Helen Purcell. Isn't that how democracy works? Yeah, that is how democracy works. And you made a good point about the need for federal standards. I mean, we, we could have many more federal standards than we have. We could still give the states plenty of rights, but say that every state should have early voting, for example. Uh, and the Congress certainly has the power to restore the Voting Rights Act that the Supreme Court uh, gutted. And, and so there's more we could be doing. Uh, we could empower the our election watchdogs, which have, have been... Uh, totally almost disbanded. And so there's a lot we could be doing uh, right now on the national level, in addition to on the state level, uh, to make it easier for people to vote, to avoid some of these problems. Uh, Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like we're headed in that direction so much. We're headed in the direction uh, much more of uh, many states instead making it more difficult to vote. Absolutely. We're we're speaking with Ari Berman. Of course, we read him at The Nation, but I hope you've also read his book, Uh, Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. It is, I mean, it is must reading as we are in this election season now to see what the changes are. And again, the piece that you wrote for The Nation the other day, uh, the title is, there were five-hour lines to vote in Arizona because the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act. Um, The the book gives you the background on all this because, uh, again, Helen Purcell would not have been able to reduce the number of polling places by 70% without the approval of the Justice Department because they were included under Section 5 of that Voting Rights Act. So now, when um, I I had thought that... um, uh, I was going to see um, uh, more out of North Carolina. Frankly, North Carolina voted on March 15th, the same day we voted in Florida. And maybe I was preoccupied, of course, by not only Florida, but Ohio. And now in retrospect, I'm thinking, wow, I'm surprised I didn't see more, that there were more problems in North Carolina, because that was sort of ground zero for the Supreme Court case, right? And then I saw your Twitter feed a, today. Yeah. Right. I saw yeah, there you... are there are there are a lot of problems in North Carolina. Right. And you cite one article that was in. Um, oh, I just pulled it up here uh, from the News and Observer. My brush with North Carolina voter ID law. So um, 
and this is a this is a horrible first person account of someone who uh you know is a, an immigrant i'm guessing or at least someone with a, a foreign name who got held up with the voter id even though the picture showed it was her and it, everything um this is happening all over the place and and is it a, is it a an issue with a, a poll worker not being adequately trained or or bias or a lot of things all put together I think it was a lot of things all put together. So we saw a bunch of different problems in North Carolina. I'm also working on a piece uh, about this too. Uh, but basically, we saw uh, very long lines in North Carolina. This was the first time that that state's voter ID law had been in effect. So uh, there were lots of confusion and challenges over uh, ID, which led to much longer lines, and, and particularly in places with a lot of college students in places like Raleigh, uh, for example, and in, in Durham and in, in, in Democratic-leaning cities across the state. And then we saw issues with uh, people who were rejected at the polls uh, over the voter ID law, either because of the law itself or poll workers not understanding the law. You're supposed to be able to get a backup ballot if you don't have strict ID, mm -hmm. but in many places, poll workers were not doing that, um, so they were not following their own law. And then we saw, in this case, the, this, this guy who was a 66-year-old uh, Im immigrant from India. Um, he, he's a scientist, a very well-educated guy. He's been a U.S. citizen for, for many, many years. Uh, he was subjected to basically a literacy test, where instead of just looking at his ID and marking him down, they for both him and his wife, they put his driver's license face down and made him spell his name. Um, and it was a lengthy process meant to intimidate him. They weren't doing that for any of the other white voters who were casting ballots. And I mean, sure, he knows how to spell his name, but this is just completely unnecessary that they're doing this. This is, this is voter intimidation. Uh, and I think the, the problem with the voter ID law is both the law itself, that people don't have IDs or they can't get underlying documents that they need, but also just how these laws are being enforced, which is either poll workers don't understand the law, don't know the law, and are enforcing it incorrectly, more strict than it should be, or they're using the law as an advantage uh, to try to uh, humiliate people, to take advantage of people, to put their own biases uh, on the electoral process. And I think this is a major problem that we're seeing. So Ari Berman, at a time when um, we're, we're seeing in, in every state a different set of problems cropping up, um, I think I know what your answer to this would be, um, and, and putting the, the feasibility of it happening aside for a second, uh, would we be better served in having, you know, um, election laws that apply to every county, every state in the country? I think in some cases, I think we need to have some, I think we have need to have some more basic standards uh, because mm -hmm. the laws are, are varying uh, far too much between uh, some states and, and in others. And in some blue states, it's quite easy to vote. And in some red states, it's becoming uh, much, much harder to vote. And, and so, yeah, I do think that we need um, more standards. I think we need to adopt laws that make it easier to vote and I also think that we need um, broad protections, things like the Voting Rights Act, uh, to ensure that everyone has a right to vote free of discrimination. Absolutely. Now, you also know, and Brad Friedman knows, that when we're talking about uh, election law and voter suppression tactics and 
election fraud, semantics matter. You know, people are throwing around terms like voter fraud, which really doesn't happen. That's the the, the problem that, that doesn't exist that Republicans are trying to find a solution for. But there is election fraud. There are shenanigans that go on. There are fingers on the scale. There's, uh, there's uh, you know, uh, um, you know, dumping people from the voter rolls. It happens here a lot in Florida. Each state has their own um, uh, rules that that seemingly make no sense, right? Sometimes they just seem very haphazard, uh, except to keep people from voting, people who should have the right to vote. Now, I know in some states, and I'm trying to remember where it was, and I want to say California, just put into law um, automatic voter registration. When you're 18, you're automatically registered. Do, is, do, do I have that right? Well, it, it, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but okay. that, the basic idea is that when you request a driver's license or an ID uh, from the DMV, you're automatically a registered voter, then you can opt out if you don't want to be registered. <laughs> Oregon did this first, and then California. They're starting right. at, the, at the DMV. I'm hoping they'll then broaden it to places that aren't just DMV, so those who don't have a driver's license or don't drive will also be able to be eligible for this. But this is how it's beginning. Uh, and it, basically what it's saying is that uh, instead of the burden being on the individual to register, the state is going to take that responsibility uh, to get many, many more people registered. In Oregon, uh, this could lead to 300,000 new people registering in California. California, if, if done right, it can lead to 6 million new people registering because there's so many unregistered voters in California. And nationwide, uh, 50 million people are still unregistered to vote. Wow. Uh, and so I think, I think automatic registration is the, is the quickest uh, and most efficient way to get a lot of people registered. And then hopefully, once people are registered, uh, they're much more likely to turn out. Right. But now, could we count on, say, Republican-led governed states uh, having this kind of automatic um, uh, voter registration upon reaching 18. Uh, because we remember the, the mantra of the Republican Party. We go back to 1980, a clip I play uh, quite often. This is Paul Weyrich, co-founder of ALEC, among other groups, and this has been their strategy for decades. Now, many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome, good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. And that is the long game played by Republicans for decades now, and it's finally paying off for them. So in a state like, oh, say, Wisconsin, with Scott Walker as governor, he would have no impetus to automatically register their citizens when they turn 18 because they don't want you to vote, right? Yeah, I mean, this is, it's unfortunate this is, breaking, this is broken down so much along partisan lines. Yeah. And one thing I tried to show in my book is that there was, at one point in time, very strong bipartisan support for things like the Voting Rights Act. It didn't always used to be this way, that if you lived in a red state, you wanted to make it harder to vote, and you lived in a blue state, you wanted to make it easier to vote. That's not how things uh, were. And so uh, I think it, you know, it's been difficult to convince Republicans to support things like automatic registration. Uh, but interestingly enough, West Virginia is now considering the proposal. And that's a state not only with a lot of Republicans, but a lot of conservative Democrats uh, as well. And so there are some unexpected bedfellows here. We've seen that online registration has passed in a bunch of Republican-controlled states recently. So not everyone 
is on board um, with that Paul Weirich strategy that you mentioned earlier. But certainly some people are, uh, and that's very disturbing. And that's why most of the progress we're seeing on elections is happening in the, bl- in the blue states, and the, hopefully it'll spread out over time. Now, one thing you and I have discussed over the last couple of years leading up to this were all the ways that, and mostly red states, sorry, led by North Carolina, trying to impose these very uh, draconian voter ID restriction laws. And this is another semantic uh, issue that Brad Friedman is always harping on. The the problem isn't that a, a, a state might require a photo ID to show that you're who you say you are. It's the restrictions on what IDs you can use. For instance, in like Texas, yep. you can't use a, an ID if you're a student at a state university. That's not good enough. But your gun license, that is. Um, things like that. Are we seeing those issues cropping up this year? Or is it that many of those uh, decisions validating those voter ID restriction laws have been sort of uh, delayed until after the 2016 presidential election? Where are we on that? No, I mean, we're, we're seeing a bunch of states with new voter ID laws, whether it's North Carolina or uh, Texas uh, or Wisconsin. I mean, it's happening all across the country. And, and these laws are very, very restrictive. And even in states where there's a backup, like in North Carolina, where if you don't have ID, if you have what's called a reasonable impediment to obtaining ID, you should be able to cast a provisional ballot that then should be counted. But what we're seeing is that, as I mentioned earlier, poll workers are not giving people provisional ballots. Uh, Voters don't even know it's an option because most people don't follow the in and outs of election law uh, that closely. And we don't even know if these provisional ballots are cast, if they'll be counted at the end of the day. And and so even when the laws are less restrictive, there's still major issues here. Uh, And and I'm concerned that a lot of these laws will be in effect for the first time in November. Uh, and, And people don't know. So if there's somebody out there who's not, you know, is not a rabid voter, you know, but but is drawn into the process this time for whatever reason they want to make sure Trump doesn't get in they want to vote for Bernie whatever it might be but they're not familiar what what do you suggest they do say that they're in a state maybe California who hasn't voted yet or New York what should that person do today well, other than read my writing in my book, <laughs> yes. I would say, um, you know, I would say they, you know, they, they should, they should follow the groups that are really working closely on this issue and, and see what they're putting out there. Um, whether it's uh, the Brennan Center for Justice or the ACLU or the NAACP Legal Defense Fund or the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, there's a lot of good groups um, that are working on this issue. There's people um, like Brad and and Rick Hayson mm-hmm. and others that are covering it closely. So uh, I think that's how they they could get up to speed and then um, figure out uh, if they want to help where they're most needed. And then maybe, um, and, and it's different from state to state, but put maybe Google your state name. So in my case, it would be Florida. Am I registered to vote? And check your voter registration. Make sure they have your party affiliation correct. And there is, you know, it's yeah. going to be different in each state. But go, go, Google your state. Find out how to check on your voter registration and make sure that you are registered because that's a problem a lot of people had. They'd show up and, they, and they'd say, well, no, you're, you're shown as no party affiliation. And the person says, well, no, I've been a Democrat for 35 years. And those are other problems that people are running into. The best thing to do is do your homework well ahead of time. So if there are any problems, you can fix them before you go to the polls. Yeah, but I mean, in state places like Arizona, where they have early voting, vote early. Yes. Um, The lines are usually shorter. uh, And then if you have problems, you can come back. Uh, later, so right. uh, that w- I'm not saying people shouldn't vote on election day. I understand um, why they want to, but early voting was put in place 
to give people more options right. and, and to try to make the voting process uh, work work smoother. So if you have early voting, vote early, and then you don't have to worry as much about these really long lines. Exactly, elections. exactly. And like or like we did here in Florida, we, uh, my husband and I, we get absentee ballots. The ballots came in, we filled them out, and then hand-delivered them to the supervisor of elections office. Another bit of advice from Brad Friedman, because he's paranoid. Yep. But, you know, sometimes there's good reason. I don't want to say that on the air, but, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's Brad, you know. Anyway, uh, Ari Berman, okay, again. great to talk to you, Nicole. Thank you thank so you. much. You're, you're doing great work. The book is awesome. Give us the ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. Ari Berman, uh, you're the best. Thank you again. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. bye-bye. Ari Berman, senior writer at The Nation and author of a book that you need to read. Yes. Uh, and find out how we got in this mess in the first place. Now, uh, but again, we still haven't figured out how we fix it. Hmm. The answer is always at the ballot box, isn't it? And we now, or people in Maricopa County, will have a choice. That answer coming up next. I'm Nicole Sandler, filling in for Brad and Desi on the Bradcast. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Want more Nicole? She's on live Monday through Friday from 10 to noon Eastern Time and repeating all day at RadioOrNot.com. Listen anytime. Too many people. Was that the problem in Phoenix and the rest of Maricopa County in in Arizona on Tuesday night when thousands of voters were left standing in lines, some for as long as five hours after the polls closed in order to vote? Was it too many people or did somebody screw up? Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, in for Brad and Desi today. And so let's recap. We started out the show listening to the words of the Maricopa County recorder who oversees the elections in that county. Her name is Helen Purcell. And at first she, you know, she blamed it on the voters for getting in the line. And then who knows? Um, because they were told to save money. Really? Because it's all about the money. Then we heard from Ari Berman to find out what the roots of the problem were. And the fact is, when the Supreme Court gutted Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, it allowed for states like Arizona to pull nonsense like this. Now, the person in charge of deciding how many polling places would be open in Maricopa County, like it or not, is this woman, Helen Purcell. Well, the recorder, the voter recorder, is an elected office. And there are many of us thinking at this point that she needs to resign. If not resign, well, there should be an investigation. And indeed, there will be. But you know, our best solution always seems to be at the ballot box. And while I was um, arguing with someone on Twitter who lives in Maricopa County and thinks we're all on a witch hunt for Ms. Purcell... There are two sides to every story, and, and this guy is an attorney. He's on Twitter, at BMAS, and he is defending uh, Helen Purcell left and right. He says, we're going on a witch hunt, and we're wrong for, you know, uh, blaming her. So I've been asking, well, then who do we blame? And guess what? It tends to go back to her. Well, 
somebody who is involved in the electoral process in the Phoenix area is an attorney by the name of Adrian Fontes. And while I was putting today's program together, I was alerted by a listener that Helen Purcell now has a challenger, a Democratic challenger for the office that she currently holds of Maricopa County Recorder. And his name is Adrian Fontes. So guess what? I called his office and he agreed to speak with us. So let's find out if she's not to blame who is. And regardless of who's to blame, what do we do now? Joining me now is Adrian Fontes. And I just read uh, on, on Facebook that you have announced, uh, Adrian, you're going to run for Maricopa County Recorder. This is um, the job currently held by a woman whose name many of us got to know over the last 48 hours or so, Helen Purcell. She's the person who I guess ultimately made the decision to reduce the number of polling places open in Maricopa County, Arizona, uh, for Tuesday's primary election uh, by 70%. So, Adrian Fontes, thank you for joining us and welcome to the broadcast. Thank you so much, Nicole, and uh, thanks to Brad. I'm not sure where he is, but I'm sure he's having a good time doing he, whatever he's, he's doing. Actually, yeah, we've got he, a problem. In, yeah, he's actually in Phoenix we, we, visiting family, so he's oh, out with you. But, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll run into him uh, uh, at a pub or something, but... Anyway, we do have a problem in Maricopa County, and the problem's been getting progressively worse. Uh, and just to fill some of your folks in, uh, it wasn't that long ago, uh, given a couple of years back in 2012, that some of the folks here in Maricopa County were feeling a little bit of a problem, uh, not having enough polling sites and having uh, certain neighborhoods with significant reductions in polling sites. At that time, we had 200 polling sites in a county with, I think it's 1.9 million registered voters. You'd think 200 for 1.9 million is a, is a small number, but uh, they re- ended up reducing it down to 60. Now, several months ago, the County Board of Supervisors, uh, and particularly Supervisor Steve Gallardo, uh, who's our one Democrat on the board, came forward to the board before um, the current plan was approved and said, listen, we're going to have significant problems. We're going to have a lot of people waiting in very long lines uh, because we have very few polling sites uh, in this plan. And lo and behold, what ended up happening was the numbers didn't lie, and uh, the current recorder decided to move forward with her plan and then had the audacity on Tuesday afternoon uh, on television, I'm sure you've seen the, the interviews, uh, to blame the voters for standing yes, in line. I know. And it was outrageous, and it was really... So it was so much more than out of touch. And some people are like, oh, yeah, no, well, you know, it might have been a little bit negligent. They might have made a bad decision. This is borderline recklessness, knowing that there is going to be a significant problem, knowing and having information about it and being warned and going ahead and disregarding the voters and disregarding their constitutional rights. I mean, this is a sacred institution among Americans. And our democracy is based on our elections more than anything else. Unfortunately, it's a very wonky position. It's not something that a lot of people pay a lot of attention to. Very few people know who their chief elections official is. Uh, but we've been having progressively worse and worse and worse problems here in Maricopa County, Arizona, home to uh, uh, a lot of folks with a lot of interesting backgrounds. We'll just <laughs> leave it at that. And ultimately, we have this machine that has decided that uh, the voters don't count anymore. And that's problematic. And I was, uh, I was an official for one of the campaigns. I went down. I'm an attorney. And I went to um, just observe, you know, and nothing more. Uh, one of the uh, 
polling sites. I didn't leave the office, the campaign headquarters, till after 9 p.m. Our polls closed at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. The race had already been called. Yeah. Okay, CNN, AP, NPR, everybody yep. had already called the race. We went and got called out because they said there was a heavy police presence at one of the polling stations over on 42nd Street and Thomas in downtown in, uh, in the Phoenix area. And we raced out there, and uh, a friend of mine and I, and I was literally heartbroken, and my stomach sank, and I was, you know, I don't want to sound melodramatic, but it was an emotional moment for me to see these people who'd been standing in line, some of them, for nearly five hours, if not more, to vote. And they were still in line, and it was dark outside, and they were still in line. Wow. And these are Americans who just wanted to cast a ballot. And it's not so much the fact, well, it is that. They reduced the number of polling places. But here's the other thing that was worse. This is bad for Republicans and independents and Democrats alike. Mm-hmm. People who had never changed party affiliation, Repub- lifelong Republicans, right. lifelong Democrats were showing up, and they were seeing that their party affiliation had been changed. From Republican to independent, yes. from Democrat to independent, right. we had reports of people's party affiliation changing while they were sitting in the seat registering oh. to get their ballot. Now, how can that, that oh, look, happen? Your registration has right. changed. It, it, we don't know. Nobody knows. Yeah. Thankfully, we've got a great mayor here named Greg Stanton. He has, as the mayor of, of the city of Phoenix, uh, requested of Loretta Lynch at the Department of Justice that the United States Attorney General's office open up an investigation. His letter is really great. I encourage you to go find it uh, and read it. And we know that we've got some significant problems. Uh, let me give you a couple of four examples from okay. different parts of the valley here. Those folks that are uh, familiar with Scottsdale, for example, it's a pretty, a pretty well-known town in, 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 in the oh, nation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. North, uh, the, the Scottsdale is sort of a north-south oriented town, so it's narrow running north and south. There were three polling stations in the entire city of Scottsdale. All three of them were located north of Shea Road. Now, for those of you that know, North Scottsdale is affluent, beautiful shopping centers, golf courses, large estates. South Scottsdale, on the other hand, which is way south of Shea, is working class, lower income, largely Latino, you know, lots of apartment complexes. And it's right around where Arizona State University is. And so the housing is a lot less expensive. You can imagine that's where the working folks live, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All three of Scottsdale's voting locations were north of there. Wow. In downtown Phoenix, coming a little bit to the west, in downtown Phoenix there was one polling site for the entirety of downtown Phoenix. Now, I don't know if you've been watching Phoenix, but our downtown has been booming. We've got tons and tons of new people living in downtown over the last several years. We had one polling site on 3rd Avenue in Fillmore at the Salvation Army in downtown Phoenix. And the lines there... I had a friend who stood in line, a personal friend of mine. She actually used to be a paralegal uh, for me. She was in line for five and a half hours. We actually, from the campaign, we sent down uh, little bags of Cheez-Its and water bottles to try to keep the people in line. Uh, the other campaigns were doing the same thing. Uh, it, it was terrible. In Glendale, the same sort of uh, north-south divide happened, and it ran along the same socioeconomic lines. And so this just isn't a problem of reduced resources. It's a problem of reduced resources and particularly concentrating a lot of these polling stations in places with uh, higher income and uh, certain demographics. And 
So there's an enormous problem here. As a matter of fact, we've, I've seen lots of stats and lots of numbers, and I haven't actually uh, dug in too deeply myself on some of them. But the reality is here, we had polling stations where you're talking about seven and 8,000 people having to vote in one polling station in this county, Maricopa County, the biggest county in, in Arizona. And in Pima County, the down where Tucson is, the next biggest county, you had 180 polling stations, I think. Mm-hmm. We had a third of the number right. of polling stations. We've got five times their population. It's and it was outrageous. A, right. So, so, so Adrian Fontes is with us. Uh, again, a lawyer. We hear that you're plugged in. You're, you're, you got, you've got it down. What's going on in Maricopa County? You understand it. So now you saw this travesty happen on Tuesday night. Um, and so you decided to... Uh, challenge the woman responsible for that not the people who got in line they they just went to vote they weren't responsible for the long lines the long lines i guess fall under the 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 purview of helen purcell who is currently the registrar of voters in maricopa county is that the title is that the job she holds she's the county recorder so the county recorder's office includes not only the elections department which administers the elections the rules and some of their funding come from the secretary of state's office at the state level Uh but each county in arizona has their own county recorder so Uh she is the maricopa county recorder at this time uh not for much longer we hope uh but she's not only responsible for administering the elections process in the county but she's also responsible for what all county recorders are uh, responsible for making sure that information and documents are preserved properly and that information is shared properly. And there's a lot of parts of that office, I can tell you, because of a great staff, that do a pretty good job. Uh, there's always room for improvement, but the reality is, the as, as far as administering elections, we've had a, 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 significantly deterioration, a significant deterioration of the performance of that office year in and year out, cycle in and cycle out, election in and election out for years. And she's been in office for nearly three decades. And I don't know if it's just complacency. Um, I'm, sure she's a, I'm sure she's a wonderful person. But the bottom line is you don't have someone who's just a nice person uh, running these things. You need competence. You need integrity. You need openness. And you need to listen to people when they tell you there's going to be a problem. And you need to pay attention to what the numbers say. And she flat out eventually had to admit. She was forced to admit that she made a mistake. But she didn't take back any of what she said about blaming the voters for getting in line. And I found that offensive. It made, it made me so angry when I saw that. And I thought, you know what? It's, it's easy for me to be angry. It's easy for anybody to be angry. It's easy for anybody to cast blame and, and say this and that and the other. But doggone it, once in a while, somebody's got to stand up and somebody's got to say, look, if, if, if not me, then who? Right. And <laughs> at the end of the day, we've got a very short period of time to collect petitions uh, before, you know, our deadlines for the August primary uh, and then the November election eventually. Um, she doesn't look like she's going to be quitting. She looks like she's going to mm-hmm. be running for re-election. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's probably going to have a Republican challenger, which is fine with me. But the reality is we don't just need another person who's involved in the same party and the same culture of corruption that has existed in Maricopa County for so long. Right. Let's not forget, this is a, this is a GOP stronghold. And the problem that we've got here is it's not just a partisan problem, but we've got so many independent voters that are so upset with the parties in Maricopa County, the people are sick of the parties. And that's why one of the things that I'm going to consider very seriously uh, when I step into that office is to decide whether or not this county recorder's office, because 
it is focused on administering elections, ought to become nonpartisan. And so we'll be exploring very carefully whether or not after the election we should make a move to try to join with the other county recorders in the state and ask the legislature to make these particular positions in administering elections nonpartisan, because that's important. And that's what the people want uh, that, I can, that I can see. But as it stands right now, it's partisan. I'm a Democrat. If I had run as an independent, I would need 30,000 signatures. Uh, but I've been involved in Democratic Party politics and progressive politics for a while. Uh, I really enjoy, um, you know, a good, a good chunk of support from a lot of people. And so it made sense to run this way. But everybody knows that I've got a bit of an independent streak in me. And my most important goal is to maintain, to renew, I should say, not maintain, but renew the integrity of the office. That's critical. Okay, so so you decided after seeing what happened Tuesday night to run. In fact, I called you once I saw your name. I called your office to see if I could get you on the phone. And and the woman who answered the phone, I said, oh, he's going to challenge uh, Helen Purcell for her office. And she said, he is? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so so this just happened. So obviously there's no website well, I will, or anything I will, I will tell you, set up yet, right? Yeah, I will tell you the folks the folks here the folks here at my work office uh, they're very focused on their tasks uh, and they don't they don't kind of dither around the edges. I, I keep my my professional life uh, close to the vest and and my teaching life. I had some students in class this morning ask me because I teach at Phoenix College. I also teach at one of the law schools here in town. Um, they asked me, "Hey, you're going to run?" And I said, "We're not worried about that today." Today we're talking about, uh, you know, what we're talking about. It was an ethics class, and I said, "So we'll we'll deal with that later," uh, because I want to have I want to be the example. You know, if I'm going to be teaching ethics in college, uh, I want to make sure that I'm going to be able to translate that into office. And the best way to do that is say, "I'm not talking about my politics in class. I'm not talking about my politics at work." Uh, we're going to maintain the integrity and the separation of those things, and and I'd like to carry that forward into the county recorder's office. I mean, I've already got some 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 Republicans and some Independents who have said they're going to support me. They're going to cross party lines because they understand that I get it. You know, when I was in the United States Marine Corps, uh, part of my jobs were uh, in administration. I was a range coach, and you know, so I taught people how to shoot rifles and. I did some classified material stuff, but the most important job that I had was administration of uh, personnel records in some in some areas. And part of that was making sure that my Marines got their ballots, got their absentee ballots on times from various jurisdictions around the country. And when we were getting overseas, we had to administer elections for our Marines while we were overseas. And I was one of them. You know, you you, you can't walk down to the county recorder's office in Iwakuni, Japan, and, and just cast a ballot. you got to follow the rules. So... I've had a history of not just serving uh, in, in the Marine Corps, but making sure that people get their, their ballots, making sure that the vote happens, because it's, it is critical. It is, you know, it is, it is the bread and wine of our, of our civic uh, religion. That's just the way it is, and, and, and not to put too, too, too uh, dramatic a point on it, but if we don't have our vote, we don't have anything. Uh, couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. So you will have a, a, a campaign website, I'm guessing, and all the uh, accoutrements that go along with it coming in, in 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 days and weeks to come. Right. This is just this is a baby campaign now. Yeah, this is uh, this is one of those things where I'm actually going to as soon as I get off the phone with you, I got to run down to the bank and open up my uh, <laughs> my account so that we can do the the, the donate button. Cool. Uh, but I think the website's going to be. Uh, electfontes.com, and that's my last name is F-O-N-T-E-S. 
So it's electfontis.com. Um, we are uh, currently working through the uh, Maricopa County Democratic Party. Uh, they've got a spot where you can donate. I don't know that they've got it linked to my campaign, but the state, Dem- the county Democratic Party here in Maricopa County uh, certainly could use all the help that it can get. Um, we've got a lot of really great uh, candidates up and down the ticket. And I can tell you right now, Arizona is poised to turn blue. We're a purple state. Uh, we've got a fantastic United States Senate candidate in uh, Ann Kirkpatrick, uh, who's been a representative here in Arizona for a long time. She's running up against John McCain, who I don't know if you've ever heard of the guy, but uh, 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 he's yeah. not exactly. I uh, have. Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, you know, give, give, give credit where credit is due, but it's time for him to, it's time for him to retire. Um, we're home to, you know, some really, really awesome uh, folks. I have uh, a congressional uh, endorsement that's going to be coming up soon from a very good friend of mine um, in in one of our CDs here, and, and we've got some really strong Democrats in Arizona. And let's not forget, uh, you know, Arizona uh, used to be a, a, a pretty blue state uh, once in a while, um, and we're pretty independent as well. So we don't we don't always go with the grain, even if you're a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, so. We're going to be getting this campaign off the ground real, real fast here. Uh, we wanted to, we wanted to make sure though uh, that we captured the energy that's coming out of this, and we, we, we make sure to bring focus to the issue. And the issue here is that our current elected officials are not doing their job, and it's the most important government job that exists, more important than any of the rest. Without our elections, we don't have a democracy, and without democracy, we end up with Maricopa County. And that's a problem. Adrian Fontes. While we're waiting for the website that will be up at electfontes.com, we can find you on the Twitters at Adrian underscore Fontes. I'll put all the information up on thebradblog.com. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for stepping in and running because everyone deserves the right to vote. Thank you, Nicole. I appreciate it. Shout out to Brad and his fans uh, and listeners. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be coming up real soon here. Thanks cool. so much and for the chance. We'll stay in touch. Thank you. Uh, good talking with you. Do okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Now that's the way you do it. You have a problem with an elected official? You run against them. You can find more. Again, we'll uh, let you know when, when Adrian Fontes' website is up. But you can check in. It'll be at electfontes.com. In the meantime, find him on the Twitters at Adrian underscore Fontes. I'll put all the links up at thebradblog.com for you. And with that, we're done for the day. I'll be in for Brad and Desi again next time. So uh, settle in. We'll have some fun. (laughs) We'll, We'll talk elections. What else? Thanks again for listening. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. In for Brad Friedman and Desi Doyen on the Bradcast. Until next time, stay safe and vote.